0: Hey, Jason, are you okay? I noticed that you seemed bothered by something today.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm just feeling really down after my last meeting with Dr. Pearson. He was really annoyed with me. He said my writing was way off base. I, I feel terrible. I'm just afraid that I won't ever be able to move on from this. You know how it is?
0: Oh, I know. Dr. Pearson never lets us live down our mistakes. I just feel frustrated
1: and embarrassed. feel like maybe I'm a bad academic. I can't stop thinking about the next time he's going to hate my work.
0: I feel that way too sometimes. Dr. Pearson keeps saying I don't have a sense of what's important in the literature, and he says this in front of my committee members. Each time I add different literature, he says the same thing. But he doesn't tell me what literature he thinks is most important, or why what I've chosen isn't good enough. I have no idea how I'm going to defend my dissertation knowing that all my committee members already think I'm a failure. Jason and Dominica's story is similar to many graduate students' experiences. They begin to doubt their abilities, And, they blame themselves for not having the stamina their supervisor is expecting. Are they cut out to be a researcher? Or has their supervisor created an unreasonable work environment? Graduate students find themselves in all sorts of situations that bolster or diminish a sense of safety and security in their graduate program. Consider this one. Jason is working under Dr. Pearson on his Ph.D. in English. Dr. Pearson provides constructive criticism and is attentive when Jason needs help. But all the students who are supervised by Dr. Pearson know he has a temper. Dr. Pearson often gets angry when his students give him writing he believes is below his standard. Or he gets angry when students don't submit work on agreed-upon deadlines. Finally, he gets angry when students don't give stellar conference presentations on work for which he is a co-author. Students find Dr. Pearson's advice ambiguous and inconsistent, and sometimes absent. For example, Dr. Pearson did not like Jason's written work, but he provided vague advice on how to address the problems with the writing. Jason felt unable to please Dr. Pearson or learn from the criticism.
1: Jason, your writing is sloppy, and you've set everybody back. I counted on you to do the heavy lifting on the editing, and you have missed many errors. We may not be able to meet our publishing deadline given the extra work I now have to do. You have disappointed everyone who has contributed to this book. I don't know how you can sleep at night knowing that you have let all of us down.
0: Humiliated, Jason didn't know what to do and started drafting apology emails to the contributing authors about the book delay. After a revised schedule was made between Dr. Pearson and Jason, the book was back on track for a slightly later deadline for submission. Despite that, Dr. Pearson kept bringing up Jason's writing and editing missteps. He chided Jason about the delayed manuscript during group meetings and in front of other students in the department. It made Jason uncomfortable and embarrassed when Dr. Pearson brought up his disappointment. Jason has found he feels anxiety about sharing his ideas with Dr. Pearson because he is afraid he will disappoint him further. Jason feels that he is losing confidence in his own skills and feels uncomfortable sending work to Dr. Pearson to review. There is an unspoken code of toleration among Dr. Pearson's graduate students to put up with Dr. Pearson's harsh criticisms, occasional display of anger, and the way he brings up past disappointments in his students. How could this situation be better? Let's talk with someone who has a firm philosophy and practice on graduate student supervision. I'm here with Harvey Cron, no longer acting as Dr. Pearson, a sociology professor who has supervised many students to successful completion of their master's and PhD degrees, as well as won a major award for exemplary graduate student supervision. Hi, Harvey. Hi, Naomi. I'm wondering if you can tell us about your philosophy of giving credit, co-authoring with students, dividing up work, and making timely progress.
1: Well, let's start with kind of the basic principle I would start with, and that is if a graduate student or an undergrad has contributed in some substantial way, and that might mean devising or working on the theoretical argument or analyzing the data or writing a section of the paper, I think they should be a co-author. And I know this can vary across disciplines. When I'm working with my research team, often a student might start out being a second or third author if they've made a contribution. In time, if they take the lead on a project, which might come out of their own thesis, well, then we would uh, automatically make them the first author if they've taken the lead. But I think it's really important at the start to clarify the student's role and their authorship rights, and with that, the responsibilities, which what do we expect you to do, what do you, are you counting on me to do, and so on, and ha- clarifying that clearly and preferably in writing if possible. But you really need to, I think, keep each student in mind, particularly with their, their strengths and their skills that they are, have not as fully developed and, and make sure that the assignment they're getting is actually doable for them. I think you also need to take into account the individual students' Life, where they're at in their own thesis project, uh, where they're at with their family situation. Do they have? Are they working part time as, as they're completing the project? In addition to, I guess, clarifying the rights and responsibilities, I would focus on clarifying timelines as well, and putting in place regular meetings to see how the project is coming along and to review each other's contributions both so the student can see what I've done and what I can see what she or he has done and those meetings I think should be probably at the most a month apart.
0: Okay those are some great suggestions. I'm wondering too how you would approach a situation such as the one just described when a student is not meeting deadlines or just making very slow progress.
1: Well, I would want to meet in person. I think this is the kind of difficult conversation that should not take place by email because you can't see what the other person is thinking or saying or how they're responding. I would want personally in advance to think about what I plan to say and what I would like the outcome of the meeting to be rather than just walking in feeling annoyed and saying, let's sort this out. You, I really think you need a plan for a meeting and a strategy for how you're going to get that plan enacted. And I think then start by going back to the original timelines and the original obligations that both parties, myself and the student, agreed to. And then perhaps say, look, you're not the first student who's had trouble keeping on track with something. Sometimes it's because they're just facing a difficult problem they can't sort out in the project or maybe there's a family issue or a health issue, or maybe you're just facing writer's block. And if you can clarify the problem, I think then you can work. go back to working on a plan to, to deal with it. What's the timeline we're going to do now? Should we reduce the contribution you're making here and I'll do a part of that, you do a part of something else? Personally, I think I'm going to need a few more meetings here rather than just hoping that we've solved it with one meeting. I guess sometimes students, really are in a position in their careers where they have to make a tough decision and i haven't done this often but a few times where i've met with a student and suggested that maybe it was time to think about a career change not saying you're doing a rotten job but you know things aren't moving Uh, we've met about this before have you thought about other alternatives and well when i did it once i had it with i had another faculty member who knew the student well with us so we could have a conversation that was a little more well-rounded than just me recommending that somebody slow to you know step out of this this career but i think that has to be a last resort
0: mhm what do you think are the mistakes that supervisors make when students have really slow progress
1: maybe the biggest mistake is just letting things drift not wanting to have that difficult conversation, uh, thinking, well, maybe they'll get this done by fall. I'll work on my other paper instead. I'll work with this other student who seems to be making a lot of progress and we're going to do really well there. I think when we agree to supervise a student, we are taking on a responsibility to help that student succeed if if possible. And so I think letting things drift is simply avoiding that responsibility. That's probably the biggest issue.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, we see that sometimes. I want to ask you, too, about how you deal with a situation in which a student has presented poor work. Um, What is your approach to giving constructive feedback on writing, for example?
1: Well, I think this would be another meeting. I try to start with something positive. Sometimes that may be no more than saying, well, this is a really interesting question you're working on. Well, thinking in advance, I keep saying this about, about... what you want out of the meeting and how you're going to try to get there is important. Just coming in and saying, Look, this isn't good enough, you've got to do better, or this isn't good enough, take it away and come back in a month and fix it, is, is basically useless advice for a student. Perhaps it means simply stating it, you know, your research question isn't very clear, uh, work on that, or saying, uh, I don't think you're using the right analytic approach here. Have you considered using a different statistical technique? Or often a common problem saying, you know, you're concluding in the end of the paper or in the end of your chapter that this is what's happening. Can you? But I don't see the connection to your data or your analysis. But but sometimes I think it would be even better to phrase those as questions rather than statements. Naomi, remind me, what is your basic research question again? Have you think about that a bit and then ask, okay, can you show me how you've developed the rationale for that research question in this section? Because now it's forcing the student to try to have the, do the diagnosing rather than me doing it for them. And I think that's a much better learning technique. So
0: So if you would take a section and try to use that section as um, an example for learning, do you, would you rewrite it and take it back to them or would you sit down next to them and say, now this is how I would have started this paragraph? Or how do you
1: do that? It would be best to sit down and point to that section and say, okay, let's work this through here. This the logic of the argument. I'm not following it. Look what, ha- what comes first? What should follow it? And work it through with them means you have to, rather than just diagnosing it quickly and trying to fix it, you actually have to work with someone to to go through that process. And I think it takes more time. It's a little more difficult, but it's a far better learning experience.
0: Yeah. You really make the link of if you're thinking (coughs) clearly, you can write clearly. So you're helping them (laughs) think clearly. I'm curious, too, what do you do when you feel that communication is not going well with a graduate student or maybe you've rethought something you've said to them?
1: Well, I've had that happen to me. Where I felt like I could have done that better, I would give myself the advice that if you had, you had, I had thought through that earlier meeting a little more clearly and had a better sense of what my goals were, maybe we wouldn't have had the miscommunication. But these things happen. I think I really need to recognize that there's two parties to that conversation, and if it didn't go well and somebody things broke down or we weren't communicating clearly, how much of that was my responsibility for not being clear enough, for not having thought in advance that the student's a little different than that student and maybe I should be doing this more tactfully. So I think my first approach would be to email the students, say, you know, I've been thinking about our meeting and would like to clarify and avoid some miscommunication. Let's meet soon and then meet in person Mm -hmm. because different students are in a very different situation. An international student who is not as comfortable dealing with a faculty member on a first-name basis is going to be handling it very differently than a very confident uh, student who has grown up in a university family and, and knows how the game is played. So being aware of your student is important.
0: Mm-hmm. So uh, speaking to that, um, what do you do to try to boost confidence in your students' Um, This is pretty important because what we're learning from mental health studies on graduate students is that um, there is a fair amount of anxiety, depression, or just demoralization
1: sometimes when uh,
0: things aren't going well.
1: Some of the things that I've already said apply here. One is don't criticize students personally. Focus on their work and not on their, their, their failures. Focus on the progress towards their goal. Stay in touch and keep the task requirements manageable so that somebody can feel like they've successfully drafted that chapter and now move to the next one and so on, rather than saying, come back when this is done. So building small successes, I suppose. Uh, There are ways, I think, in which graduate students can get more involved than some do on campus in internal conferences and workshops and so on, pushing my students to get a poster in for that workshop, for that conference. It's just another way to be successful, to achieve success and then celebrate it.
0: Okay. Thank you for that. Um, Now, I'm going to ask you a more uh, peculiar question, but it's something we deal with a lot at Faculty of Grad Studies. Um. What would you do if a student came to you who said uh, they were being bullied by their supervisor? What what advice would you give them?
1: Hmm. <clears throat> we're now into a very tricky area. I think I would automatically start by asking a lot of questions, specific questions about when did this happen and how and has this happened before and so on and so on, until I have a much had a much better sense of the context in which this had occurred, if in fact it had occurred, because this is a perhaps the student perhaps a faculty member was not being bullied, was not bullying, but the student felt bullied. And that is if if you feel you're being bullied, that's a problem. So I would try to stay neutral even though trying to get as much information as possible, trying to suggest ways in which the student could address it and Probably most importantly, encourage them to talk to somebody in a position of authority like an associate chair for grad studies or an associate dean from FGSR because those people do have the responsibility to address these problems and could see it as their role to intervene if something, if someone should intervene.
0: Okay. Yes. um, We often wish students had come to us sooner, um, so I'm glad you suggested that to go to the associate chair grad for that department. And then if that doesn't feel right, certainly an associate dean at FGSR. So um, Harvey, I want to ask you, in general, what are some of the practices you think graduate supervisors should have in terms of good supervision? You've been doing this for 30 years, right? So. More. (laughs) (laughs) 35. (laughs) about that?
1: Uh, hmm. I think I'll be repeating myself here because we've had some engaged in some of this discussion already, but let me think about what those points would be. I think one of them would be recognize that students are different, be aware of their differences in terms of their skills and their other family or community or employment responsibilities. Every student is different. I think advise, don't just criticize, and If you need to critique the speed with which the student is progressing or the quality of their work, focus on the work rather than the person. Uh, Be as clear as possible in that critique. I think I've said this before, but don't just say that's not good enough because that's not very useful. Regular meetings follow up on a regular basis. And uh, I think this is something that I've come to really think more about as I've been here longer, but that is remembering that graduate supervision is part of our job as a faculty member. It's not just something that's secondary to getting my research done and publishing my my research. It's part of my job. And my contributions to knowledge, your contributions to knowledge as a faculty member, will come both from your research output but also from your mentoring. And that's probably a longer-term outcome that one can be very proud of if it's been done well.
0: Hmm. Very nice. Thank you so much, Harvey, for sharing your wisdom today.
1: Thanks. I enjoyed talking about it.